Welcome to Creepy Critters, a podcast where me and a guest talk about cryptids. With me today is a very lovely Faith. Hello, I'm back. And we're going to be breaking into the uh, Australian cryptids today and uh, talk about the bunyip. The bunyip. Which is pretty much just like the... It's just like the whatever cryptid that people call the bunyip. Like it's a it's fifty percent bun, fifty percent yip. Well better than fifty percent yif, am I right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm joking, I don't really give a shit. Uh, <laughs> so um so yeah, the bunyip is I think probably one of the more famous Australian cryptids. Definitely not yeah. the most horrifying. Yeah, like I've even heard of the bunyip. Yeah, and um, it does not have a hard set description or story, and uh, the white man just, uh, you know, just kind of went with it. Yeah, you know how white people be. Yeah, yeah, you know how white people be. White people be colonizing and appropriating aboriginal <laughs> stories for their own and gain. I- Listen, I would know because I am a white people. <laughs> yeah, you are one of them white people. <laughs> I am. So white that during summertime when the sun is out, often the air is too spicy. So this is the description I found of the bunyip. Oh boy. The bunyip has many descriptions. Some say it has a dog-like face, dark, dark for- fur, uh, a horse-like tail, flippers... Warris-like tusks, and a duck-like bill. Others think the creatures have the appearance similar of that to a snake, uh, with a man in a beard. I'm just gonna say that that makes sense. Uh, this cre- this creature is described to have gobbled up children and livestock in several Aboriginal bedtime stories. If you would come close to the water's edge. The bunyip is also said to prey upon women and children of Aboriginal tribes during the night. Uh, it's hard to tell what the bunyip looks like because of its claims of variations, but all the sightings agree that it's definitely an chronic animal. So, all we pretty much have is, uh, it don't get close to the water because this thing that we don't know what it is might eat you. It has a corporeal form yes and that corporeal form has a mouth that will eat you maybe maybe (laughs) we do know it's definitely aquatic and that's all we have it lives in the water and it has a body and as you could probably tell this stories of the bunyip originated with the aboriginal people of australia um to, we are going to be just talking about the European reports, uh, because they are the, it's the only ones that are written down. Mm-hmm. And also, I don't want to, like, you know, be mistelling Aboriginal tales. I'm just going to, you know, say what the dumbass white people are saying. <laughs> <laughs> so, we have a couple of, we have a, we have, like, Three, four, 
we have four different sightings and reports. Most of these in the 1800s. Actually, well, mid-1800s, basically. Oh, nice. Yeah, early to mid-1800s. So, one of the earliest accounts relating to a large, unknown freshwater animal was in 1818, when Hamilton Hume and James Meehan found some large bones at Lake Bathurst's in New South Wales. They did not call the animal the bunyip, but described the remains indicating the creature was very much like a hippopotamus or a manatee. I have an issue. Yes. Those are two different types of animals. Yeah, those are very different. Like, if that was just like, if it was like a dolphin or manatee, I'm just like, you know what? I could say, I could see that. They both have tails. That are fish-like and, you know, flippers and everything. Both fully aquatic. Both aquatic. Now, a hippopotamus looks like a big murder dog. It does. Not a dog you want to pat. Like, a not fluffy one, either. Yeah, one that, when it sweats, it looks like blood. Oh. (laughs) I'm guessing they meant hippopotamus, just because, like, I looked up the bunyip because I could not remember where I heard about it at first. Uh... And, like, a lot of the pictures are, like, a furry hippopotamus. But some of them aren't. (laughs) Yes. Some of them are, like, really off the rails. (laughs) So, the Philosophical Society of Australasia later offered to reimburse Hume for any cost incurred in recovering the specimen of the unknown animal. But for various reasons, Hume did not return to the lake. Now, Probably because he, he didn't want to get eaten, obviously. So one of the things I do want to point out is early Australian history is before like there was a lot of like established sediments like you know along the coast. It's just a bunch of uh, just a bunch of like white people getting lost and being like barely barely staying alive because Aboriginals didn't realize that they should have killed them on the spot and then. <laughs> And then, like, coming back with being like, hey, I found something. Hey, guess what? I wandered around the desert for, like, four months. <laughs> and look what I found. Like, if you want to hear if you want to hear about a lot of these Australian adventurers, I would listen to the dollop episodes featuring that are set in Australia, basically. Because, like, almost all of them are just like, hey, this person <laughs> spent four months hiking across the... Hiking across the, um, like, outback or something for really no reason. You know how white people is. Yeah. You know, they find a place that they don't know. They're just like, well, I guess I gotta explore it. I guess I gotta explore it. Maybe die of dysentery. Who knows? So. Well, so the next, the next, um, report is in Wellington, the Wellington Cave Fossils. In 1830. So significant, so more significant uh, was the discovery of fossilized bones of some quadruped much larger than the ox or buffalo in the Wellington Caves in mid-1800s by uh, Bushman George Rankin. It was later uh, by Tom Tom, uh, Mitchell. Uh, Sydney's Reverend John Dunmore Lang 
That is like the most like white person name ever. <laughs> yeah. It really is. Like you oh. could like you could definitely get a serial killer out of that name. Yeah. Yeah. Announced that the find was convincing proof of the deluge, referring to uh, the biblical account of the flood. But a British atomist, Sir Richard Owen, identified the fossil as the gigantic marsupial, marsupials, the nototerrarium, terrarium, and the diprotodon. Um, at the same time, some settlers observed that all the natives throughout these districts have a tradition of a very large animal that have having at one time existed in the large creeks and rivers by the many. Now it is said that such animals now exist. So Yeah. If you didn't know, Australia had a lot of megafauna. Yeah. Megafauna a used lot. to just be the thing, because like um one of the th- reasons why one of the reasons why we used to have a lot of megafauna is we used to have a lot more oxygen in the air. Yes. It's, uh, how many, what was the percentage? It's like 70-something percent nitrogen. Yeah, 15%, I think, like oxygen. Something like that. 15 or 20. And there was a lot more food as a result. Yes, so, okay. So, it's 78% nitrogen, 21%. Oxygen, and then there's like one percent of like trace amount of other. Yeah. Yep. So there used to be a lot more oxygen in the air. So like, so you would get those giant bugs and giant mammals and giant plants and stuff. And as nitrogen took over a little bit more in that oxygen, and oxygen went lower. Um, we kind of couldn't support that mm-hmm. type of life life anymore yeah that being said there was a lot of also um humans have a lot of uh let's just say humans cause extinction um yeah (laughs) yeah. (laughs) and like there was also like just a lot of animals that were kind of allowed just to live for a long time like in that area yeah like um australia actually had giant komodo dragons that were also venomous, but they died, like, a couple thousand years before any humans made it to Australia. But they did exist. Yeah. Also, like, dodo birds were, like, if they weren't just so dumb, like, and realized that humans are not, to, like, to be walked up to, we would still have dodo birds. Yeah. Like, we just found in the 1800s, just like, these taste like shit, but, like, I could just pick it up by the neck and crack it. I just have a bird here. Like, they taste bad, but gosh, they're so easy. Yeah, that's one thing about humans. We love just things walking up to us and being like, eat me. Please. Let's get to the next one, which is in July 1845, the... Geelong Advertiser announced the discovery of fossils near Geelong under the headline Wonderful Discovery of a, uh, of a New Animal. 
This was a continuation of a story on fossil remains from the previous issue. The the newspaper continued on the bones being shown to an intelligent black. By the way, I'm reading this as it was in the paper. So yeah, on the bones <laughs> being shown from the mid 1800s. There's yeah. some racist bullshit in there. Yeah, being shown to an intelligent black, he much he he once recognized it as belonging to the bunyip, which he declared to have seen. On request to make a drawing of it, he did without hesitation. The account noted a story of an Aboriginal woman being killed by the bunyip, by the most direct evidence of all. The man being named uh, Munboran who showed several deep wounds on his breast made by the claws of the beast. The accounts provided. The account provided this description of the creature. The bunyip, then, is represented to as united the characteristic of a bird and an alligator. It has a head resembling, resembling that of an emu, with a long bill in the extreme and at the extremity of which transverse projection on each side, with serrated edges like bone of the stingray. Its body and legs partake of the nature of the alligator. The hind legs are remarkably thick and strong, and the forelegs are much longer, but still of great strength. The extremities were furnished with long claws, but the blacks said, its usual method of killing its prey is by hugging it to death. <laughs> when, the, when in the water, it swims like a frog, and then when at shore, it walks on its hind leg with its head erect, in which position it measures 12 to 13 feet in height. Shortly after this account appeared, it was repeated in other Australian uh, papers. This appears to be the first use of a bunyip in a written, written publication. Wow, that was quite the description. Also, like, man, like, this is also one of the reasons why you never want to go back in time. That was in English. And I understood yeah. most of those words, but, like, trying to read them, I was being like, too many words for this. <laughs> also, just, just say ears or just something. Say, just say legs. <laughs> That's all you have to say. Yeah, like going, like going back in time, like going back twenty years, like you would have a little bit of a language barrier, but nothing serious. Nothing serious. But going back two hundred years, you're pretty much just an alien at that yeah. point. You speak the most simple of the English. No, it wouldn't even be speaking uh, the simple of English. The simple, most simplest of English. It means. Like, meanings of words change, and also just the way you convey thought would be different. Yeah, like the word quite does not mean the same thing it meant 200 years ago. Or even currently in England, for that matter. Okay, so, this is going to be the last, uh, last major sightings. Um, this was the... Stockweller's sighting and drawings. Ooh. In 1857. 
In an article titled The Bunyip, a newspaper reported the drawings made by Edwin Stockweller as he traveled on the Moray and Goldburn rivers. <sighs> okay. A monk's, oh, <laughs> a, monk's, <laughs> a monk's the latter drawings, we noticed a likeness of the bunyip, whether a view of the neck and shoulders of the animal. Dr. Stockweller informs us that the bunyip is a, is a large freshwater sill, having two small fins attached to the shoulders, a long swan-like neck, a head like a dog, and a curious bag hanging under its jaw resembling a pouch of a pelican. The animal is is covered in fur, like the platypus. The hair is a glossy black. Mr. Stockkeller saw no less than six of these curious animals at different times. His boat was within 30 feet uh, of one near the McGuire punt on the Gold Goldborn, and he fired at the bunyip. But did not succeed in capturing him. Oh my god. Such a white person thing to do. The smallest uh, appeared to be about five feet in length. And the largest exceeded 15 feet in length. The head of the largest was the size of a bullock's head. And about three feet out of the water. After taking a sketch of the animal, Mr. Stockweller showed it to several blacks of the Goldburn tribe, who declared the picture was the Bunyip's brother, meaning a duplicate, meaning a duplicate or the likeness of a Bunyip. The animals moved against the current at a rate of about seven miles per hour, and Dr. Stockweller states that he could have approached close to the specimen he observed if he had not been deterred by the story of the natives concerning the power and fury of the bunyip, by fact that his gun only had a single barrel, and his boat was of very frail description. I have multiple things to say. I will say that right after this very last thing. The description varies across newspaper accounts. The great bunyip question seemed to be brought to a close, as a Mr. Uh, Stockweller, an artist and gentleman, have come up through the Murray in a small boat. Says he saw one, and he was able to take a drawing of this vexed question, but did not succeed in capturing him. We have a sketch that puts us to mind of a hybrid between the water mole and the great sea serpent. A what? <laughs> a water mole? Yeah, I'm gonna see what a water mole is. I'm sorry, what? Like a muskrat? <laughs> but that doesn't sound like what he described earlier. No. that like what he described earlier is just like a weird duck with fins. A strange pelican. Yeah, also I like how he's like, oh man, look at that weird bird. I'm going to shoot at it. So, so a, fr- a large freshwater sill having two fins attached at the shoulder Long swan-like neck, dog like a horse. I'm sorry, not sorry. Mm. Head like a dog. Dog like a horse would be way different. <laughs> it just has a has a grand mastiff just, just like walking around. And pelican pouch has hair like a platypus. I'm trying to imagine that in my head. 
there's there's a lot. There's a lot going, but it has like a pelican like, beak. Like, why would you say it's like a seal? Like, that does not resemble anything like a seal. Yeah, that is, unless he's never seen a seal. Like, <laughs> which I would believe. <laughs> yeah, it looks like a seal. Namit, have you ever seen a seal? Like, seals, seals look like if you made like a dog have short legs. Yeah, and then it's lived its whole life in the water. Yeah, and they're, and they're assholes. Oh God, and awful. It's it's like medieval uh, ilus- illustrators. Like they're like, I think this is what this looks like. I don't know. I've never seen one. This is just like a third hand account of what it looks like. So I guess I'll draw it. <laughs> and also, uh, apparently, the water bowl is an archaic term. And that's the only thing I got when I looked at, uh, when I looked it I mean, up. Besides, why for what? <laughs> like it's an archaic term for an animal. Because oh. when I look it up, I get mostly a wow character, a, a wow like thing, or a mole of water, okay. which is okay. which which is like a mole, as in the chemi- chemistry term of water. Of water. Of water. So, so yeah, I still don't have a lot of good answers for you. I just like, like, what does the bunyip look like? I don't know. Something. <laughs> some people, some people say it's like a hippo. Some say it's like a manatee. Others it's got a, other... it's got a mouth and it lives in the water and that's all I know. <laughs> so, so what do you think about the bunyip? <laughs> I think. I think it's fun, and now I see why. So I I realized where I'd first seen Bunyip, why I recognized the name. It's in the Dungeons and Dragons bestiary. Is where I first heard of the Bunyip, because I was probably flipping through, and I'm like, "What is a Bunyip?" Yep. I think it's fun that you could interpret it basically however you want, because there is no set description. Yeah, which is going to make the next segment, which is my second favorite segment, just real easy to do. Uh, can they get it? Just did a bad thing. I regret the thing I did. This is a part of the show where we talk about, can this cryptid get it? Can they? You know what? This is perfect timing because I just rewatched Shape of Water the other day. Oh. If you, if you haven't listened to my Lake Honks episode, I would listen to it, because we definitely had a shape of water-like <laughs> creature. So, like, it could be anything, pretty much. It could much. be anything. It could be hot. We don't know. It could be, like, like a tiny androgynous person that, like, that have, like, big eyes Be a sexy hair. fish person. Could be you a sexy fish person. Know. So, like, maybe... But also, it, it will probably eat you. Well, I only mean. if you're a man or child. I mean, only if you're a child or a woman, which means I'm neither of those, so I'm I'm fine. Oh, Jesse, you could get it. Yeah. From the bunyip. <laughs> yep, I could get it from the bunyip. <laughs> yes, you, you have to figure out what it really looks like. Only you can know. <laughs> so, like, I just don't know. Like, like I don't... I, it's a maybe, I guess. Yeah, maybe. Like, maybe? It's possible. 
Though usually when, like, Europeans see something that they, like, really want to bone for some reason, they do not stop talking about it. Yeah. Like manatees. <laughs> oh, dude, they want, oh, man, those sailors wanted to fuck those manatees so much. <laughs> so much. They wrote so many stories about it. They're just like, yeah, I saw this fat mermaid the other day. Maybe maybe the bunyip is more masculine, and that's why there's not as many accounts about wanting to fuck it. <laughs> well, like, it would have to, because if there's more than one, then there'd have to be, like, a male and female equivalent. Yes. Like, or at least they're hermaph- hermaphroditic, like, like, like worms are. They have to be able to reproduce, at least. Yeah, they have to be able to reproduce. So, I guess... Yeah. And, like, it's supposed to be a mammal of some sort, right? Yeah. So at least we got that. It's a mammal-ish. Yeah, it it has to breathe air. At the very least, maybe a bird. I don't know. I haven't seen anything about a bird yet. Like, a duck-like bill? Like, I think think it, like, the duck-like bill comes from the duck-billed platypus. Yeah, yeah. So a mammal. Deep down. And the duck-billed platypus is, like... What if we threw a bunch of animals together? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what if we threw a bunch of animals together? Oh no, like, all of them have gone extinct, except for, like, these two. Yeah. The platypus and the echidna. So, so I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say a conditional maybe. Maybe. And that's because it can pretty much be whatever I want to describe it, as long as it's aquatic. And a mammal. <laughs> and a mammal. So... I don't know. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Who knows? We just don't know. By the way, Mark, you have a fun time drawing this, because... Yeah. It's just gonna be, like, an amalgamation of, like, animal parts. Yeah. Well, let's get to my actual favorite part. (gasps) Make it sexy, slash make it YA, slash just make a story. So... Let's do it. So... This segment is where we try to make a story that would appeal to today's youth that would make this character popular. Okay. Okay, we could do this. Yes. So, so do you have an idea? I do, actually. Uh, because a lot of the lore surrounding Bunyips is... About colonialism. <laughs> like, a YA dystopian novel where the Bunyip is the protagonist fighting against the colonists. Okay. And has, like, a love interest, I guess, of some kind. What's another uh, Australian? Like, another Australian cryptid is its, like, love interest. <laughs> I don't want to get into those because they're crazier than this one. Yeah, we'll talk about those later. Like, in the future episodes, you'll learn more about the Bunyip's love interest. <laughs> so, yeah, so I do think, okay, so how, I think what we said it in the 1800s. Yes. And maybe what we have is we have, like, a, a bushranger, like, help the Bunyip protect its, like, brood. Yes. Um. 
like a fern gully situation. Yeah. And we have like and and our villain is pollution that turns into a very sexually confusing smog monster that sings <laughs> a super sexy song. Like <laughs> like it yeah. is like Fern Gully confused me so much as a kid because like I did not know how to deal with like that sexy sludge cloud monster that Tim Curry voiced. Right. And like it, and like that song, that song he sung, uh, which I'm definitely going to be putting some of it in, uh, <laughs> is just he sings it like he wants to fuck you. All the creatures in it, I suck them dry and spit them out like spinach. I feel the power; it's growing by the minute, and pretty soon. You're gonna see me wallow in it I feel good A special kind of honey Flowers and trees Depressed and frankly boring I think I'll speak along Really? We could just, just do Fern Gully Let's just make Fern Gully It's Fern Gully but with a bunyip <laughs> yeah. Instead of a fairy and and it and it can just look different each time. It just has yeah. the same voice. <laughs> every scene it looks different. Every time the ma- every time like the bush ranger looks away, it looks different. <laughs> just an ever changing amalgamation of animal parts. Sometimes sometimes it can walk on water and sometimes it can walk on uh land because it has a um Because it has four legs, sometimes it just, you know. It only has fins, sometimes. Sometimes it's like a snake. Who knows? Yeah. But yeah, every time it looks different. (laughs) So, so yeah, like, I don't know. I like the idea of Fern Gully. Like, who would be, who would be the, who would be the sexually confusing villain? Oh, um. It would have to be a colonist. Some yeah, sort, definitely. Some kind. Yeah. <laughs> it's just Hugh Jackman. Oh yeah, it's Hugh Jackman and like he <laughs> and like he sings like and like every time he's on screen it's very sexually confusing. Yeah. I, I was gonna say, uh, should this be a musical, which obviously yes. Why wouldn't it be? <laughs> but yes. <laughs> Just I was trying to think of Australian actors, and the only one I could come up with was Hugh Jackman. Nicole Kidman is one of oh, them. Oh yes, she also exists. Um, I don't uh, know. Kirk- it could be one of the one of the very many Hemsworths that that are just like around. Yeah, there's like five of them. I'm pretty sure that they're a uh, they reproduce asexually, and there's just tons of them. <laughs> One of them just splits off of the other at some point. That's how Liam came into existence. He just split off of Chris one day. Yeah, can you think of anything else you would add? <sighs> Who would be, like, the quirky sidekick? That was the, like, the Robin Williams voice bat. Oh. Like a kangaroo? Oh, or a wombat? To- okay, so, so let's go with Let's go with a kangaroo that is like really, really buff. That is a bogan, which is basically <laughs> just a the the rednecks of 
of Australia. <laughs> oh my god, I love it. <laughs> it has it has a skidoo that it's always oh. that it's always just like that it's always just going on. Um <laughs> and it also kind of racist. Like <laughs> kind of racist, like overtly racist. Yeah. <laughs> But but he's but be, but because I'm a dumb American, he says it in Australian accent. I'm just like, I don't understand half the things you're saying, but, but you okay. sound interesting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's all like those goddamn bunyip slipping in the water. Like I'm guessing there would be like a bunyip like clan of some yes, sort. Definitely. Uh, how would they have? Would they have a bunch of um? Would they have magical powers? <laughs> I mean, other than uh, shape shifting, apparently. Well, yeah, okay. They're 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 mostly not magic. Yeah. But 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 their form is always changing. And like they don't look the same to any. Well, like there could be a whole entire group of people. Yeah. And like they could be looking, but no one would see the same thing. <laughs> exactly. And, and the re- the way they know that it's them is because they have a very distinct voice. Yeah. And exactly. you have to just kind of get used to it. Yes. I like that idea. <laughs> Let's just say the first 30 minutes of the movie is just like, I don't know who the fuck you are. <laughs> who is this? Everybody has to wear name tags. It's just how it is. Yes. So, I think we're pretty much done, right? <laughs> Oh my god. I sorry, I can't get over the racist redneck kangaroo. <laughs> <laughs> so I so I think we're about the same age, right? Like you're I'm twenty-eight. You're twenty-eight. Yeah, we're about the same age. So yeah. so uh Kangaroo Jack. Yes. Did you like that was the first movie I realized that uh, that I could be disappointed in a movie that I wanted to see? Cause as a kid, I wanted to see Kangaroo Jack like more than anything. And I remember watching the I remember watching the previews. I'm just like, yes, there's a kangaroo. It talks and it raps. That's all I want to see. I am seven. Give me that, please. <laughs> yes, exactly. And it wasn't that. I remember being like so disappointed. I I remember begging my mom to take me out to the theater so I could see it. Yep, I remember that. I remember being like, what is this? Why are we watching? This is no talking kangaroo. There's. That happened for, like, a minute. I wanted a kangaroo that was talking and rapping. Yes. But no. (laughs) They stole that from us. And and you know what? In this movie, tons of talking and rapping kangaroo. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Tons. (laughs) Everybody, every 28-year-old in the United States... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we saw Kangaroo Jack will not be disappointed by this movie. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, just justice for Jack. <laughs> so, what would we name this movie? Oh God, um, uh, I almost said Trouble Down Under, uh, but I think that's already taken, so that doesn't really work. Pretty sure it would be. A Bunyip Valley or something like that. <laughs> Bunyip Valley, I like it. Yes. Oh, the Bunyip Billabong. Yes. Wait, am I thinking of uh, Billabongs? Right. 
It's an oxbow lake. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah, no. Okay. So, they're basically lakes that are left after a river changes course. Yes. Um, apparently they're dry for a majority of the year, so maybe it's like a, uh, maybe it's like a, uh, uh, like a nomadic tribe? Yes. Of, of, uh, of bunyips, and they're one of their, the billabongs that they stay at is close to a settlement. Yes. Okay. Yes, that's, that's what we want. I like it. Okay. So Bunya Billabong <laughs> and and uh, Hugh Jackman is the sexually confusing villain. Yes. This is a, I have a feeling that this is actually just uh this is 100% uh, illustrated uh being a animated movie. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um And like Hugh Jackman's character is like always sexualized like his shirt's always open for no reason by the way, just cuz uh, so I think we're pretty much done mm-hmm. with this. So, uh, what do you have to plug? Uh, I have my comic, Grace's Wings. You should go read it. It's at graceswings.com. Uh, it's an urban fantasy story where the protagonist isn't a hot redhead. Okay. Bold, bold choice. I know, right? My name is Jesse. I have two other podcasts, one of them being Alphabet Flight, where I talk about Marvel characters thrice weekly. Um, and I have another one that is newly minted called Limited Theories, where I talk about the limited Marvel series mostly with my friend Rob. Um, it is the only 100% Latinx comic podcast out there. <laughs> no white dudes on that podcast. Nope. <laughs> nope. Just two dudes. One of them is more gay than the other. <laughs> I'll let you figure that out. I feel like that's most duos. Yeah. These days. <laughs> so yeah so that's pretty much it uh this has been creepy critters and um i don't know just you know choose something to look like bunyip and make it easier to talk about (laughs) yeah please please bye bye